Welcome to the Inside the Eight podcast with your hosts, Jamie Monroe and Colleen McGarity. This podcast is dedicated to all things women's lacrosse. We will break down top games of the week, discuss coaching strategies, and lacrosse recruiting. We will even bring in some of the game's top coaches and players as special guests. And now, here are your hosts, Jamie and Colleen. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Inside the Eight podcast. I am solo today without Jamie as he is on his way to see his son's game at Georgetown. Um, and I am pumped to have Mike Bedford on the podcast today to kick off, you know, the first time we've had a podcast in a couple of weeks and we have three coming up this week. So Mike, you're our first of this week and want to just give a little bio about yourself. You have a long bio and I have a lot of questions. Um, about everywhere you've been. So I'd let you kind of introduce yourself and go from there. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's definitely a mouthful. Um, (laughs) But first, thanks. Thanks for so much for having me. Um, Love listening to um, Inside the Eight. Um, You guys have had so many fantastic coaches and just, it's, it's one of my guilty pleasures as I'm driving back and forth to, to the office. So I'm super excited to be able to to, to get on here and just kind of talk lacrosse with you. Um, but yeah, I guess, where do I start? Um, currently I'm the offensive coordinator at Jacksonville university, um, going into my second season. Previously, I spent some time at Rutgers university, Boston university, the college of William and Mary Hofstra university, where I got my start with, uh, one of your fellow, uh, Northwestern alums, Shannon Smith, who I was, so fortunate that she brought me into this to this side of the game which was has just been absolutely incredible for me and spent some years with the uwlx coaching the philly force so um it's been an absolute it's been an absolute journey and now i find myself just down in jacksonville calling it home loving being where it's warm (laughs) i know it's like i'm jealous you have great weather down there um but going through kind of your bio, I was like, I mean, you have a lot of Wildcats that you worked with, um, starting with Shannon and then kind of your most recent doing a short stint with Hannah too at Michigan. Um, I wanted to kind of like pick your brain, just like you had so many different experiences and coaching changes, whether it be because the coach, head coach changed and you had to change. But the positive of all of that is like you got to experience so many different programs. So can you give a little bit of like, what it's been like to be at so many different programs, so many successful programs. And I guess it's probably a tough question, but what are some of like the most important things you've learned along the way at all of those programs? Yeah. I mean, I look back and kind of just take, take an opportunity to reflect on like the past nine or 10 years of my coaching career. And although at times it was a bit stressful, um, in terms of stability and uh, having to to move as much as I did, um, my poor dog was in tow pretty much the entire time. So she's been she's lived in pretty much every every place that I have, which has been pretty exciting <laughs> for her. She definitely liked it where it was colder though. Um, but it's it's been a it's been a, honestly something I wouldn't change at all. I've had so many opportunities to to learn from such incredible um, mentors, to be perfectly honest, like coming into this side of the game, starting at Hofstra had a, had a three great years there. Um, just learning and understanding the culture of, of women's lacrosse and the game and the progression that was happening, um, at the moment when I really got involved. Um, my first, my first year was when they had adjusted the rules or changed the rules so that defenders could go through the crease. And, and that was a, that was a huge thing. And I feel like every single year we've just had such massive rule changes that have made this game so much faster and immediately having the opportunity to, to learn that game and, and get the exposure with, with someone like Shannon who had such tremendous success through her college career. And then, um, obviously everybody knows the story that she, she ended up coming right out of college and got the head coaching job at Hofstra university. And, um, I got there during her second season and she's been there ever since. And they've just been, she's been progressively trying to build something better and better there each year. And, uh, it was, it was a great opportunity for me to get involved in the game. Um, and it was back on Long Island, which was 
where I'm originally from. So it was nice to be able to get, get home for a little bit. And then I had a, another opportunity to um, go and work with another amazing mentor, Hillary Fratsky at the College of William and Mary. And Hillary also has those Northwestern roots as she was a, um, one of the Towson greats, but also went and coached under Kelly for, uh, I want to say three or four years. Yeah. It might've been longer. I had but, her for definitely two, so probably three or four. Yeah. 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 And I mean, she was, she was significant for, for my growth. I think, um, she really challenged me to, um, to think critically and, and do more reading. And I've never been an avid reader until I, I got into coaching and I will admit, I still utilize this book on tape a lot more than, than <laughs> I actually do the hardcover, but I feel like it's, I'm getting the information regardless. And, um, Hill had such just an just such an incredible perspective on life and such an incredible perspective on um, the way that she tackles just the way she tackled running a program. And it, I always kind of joke and it's like, she's very granola. And I absolutely love that about her because that was something that I was not. And having an opportunity to work with her and Kara Mupo, who is another, um, another Wildcat and who's now the head coach at Mason. Like it, it's so funny how I continue to go back and I've had so much exposure to so many incredible players from so many incredible programs. And I've tried to learn, um, learn from every single one that I've like had an opportunity to work with. And I did one year down there and I got a phone call from Liz Robert Shaw, who was the head coach at Boston university at the time. And who was she was one of the assistants for Team USA right when I had gotten into the game and she was the president of the IWLCA and it, everything that I had heard about Liz was just, just she was just an absolute monster in in women's lacrosse and I, I, she still is and I had I was fortunate enough to get a phone call on my I was driving from uh, Williamsburg all the way up to Long Island and like hour 14 I got a phone call from Liz and I remember to this day, talking to her as I was like on the Belt Parkway, and um, she was talking about the the opportunity and the experience. And um, her former defensive assistant um, Anna Hanaberry was going to Michigan um, with Hannah, and I had known um, Anna for a really long time. So it, it just it was just kind of one of those things when Liz Rodbershaw calls you, you're like you have to go. Um, so I went up and I did it a year up at, at BU with her and, and Jess Antelmi and Boston was an unbelievable city, an unbelievable athletic department. And I really enjoyed my time there, but, and I had an opportunity to learn from, from Liz who was very different than working with Shannon. and was very different than working with Hillary. And like, she demanded a lot of us um, in terms of just how we conducted ourselves on and off the lacrosse field, how we prepared for everything that we needed to be at. She always wanted us on our game. We needed to be sharp at all times. And um, it was just, it was something that I, I just felt really comfortable the entire time that I was there. And I always tried to like elevate myself on a daily basis in order to, um, to be the assistant that I wanted to be for her because she was such a tremendous leader. And then unfortunately, um, at the end of that season, we BU decided to have a change of leadership, and I found myself looking for for a new home. And I get I ended up getting connected with uh, Laura Blair-Sias, who was the head coach at Rutgers, and she had been there for about sixteen years. And um, I had a couple conversations with her on sideline at a few recruiting events, and ended up formally interviewing and she offered me the position and it gave me an opportunity once again, to actually get closer to Long Island. Um, and it was the big 10. And, and at that point in time, Rutgers was, they were still, it was still early in their, their stint in the big 10. I think that was year two or three for them. And um, it, it was just a really great opportunity. Like every single year you, as a competitor, as a coach, you always want to play the best teams in the nation. And you look at the big 10 and the strength of schedule that they have in there and you're going up against Ohio States and Michigan's and then you have the Northwesterns and, and Maryland and Johns Hopkins. And it's, it was such a really, it was such an incredible opportunity and the, the thought and, and idea of getting into power five athletics for me, it was just, it's something that I've always wanted to do because I 
as we all are, we're, we're competitors and we want to just be on the biggest stage at all times. And um, had an, another great opportunity there. Unfortunately, the success wasn't there. And I knew kind of it was a little bit of a, of a gamble going in just because of um, the way contracts fall and the way that um, college athletics is. And unfortunately, they, they opted for a change of leadership after that one year. And um, but I mean, once again, I'm still really proud of the time that we spent there and the, um, the recruiting that we were able to do. And so like happy to see Rutgers success right now. I, I look at it from a point of just like, you create relationships and you establish relationships with athletes during, um, the recruiting process. And when you, when you spend time at these places and or this game really is about relationships and, and watching some of these, um, some of these athletes have the success that they've been able to have even after I've, I mean, after you leave a place, it, it's still, it's still one of those amazing things that people don't necessarily think about. Um, but once again, yeah, after that leadership, I had a couple of things were in the air um, and I went out and I opted into doing a year out at university of Michigan with um, Hannah. And it honestly, in terms of growth, just having the ability to, to enter that position as a volunteer assistant, not necessarily being on either side of the ball, but having the ability to flex back and forth and, and work significantly with the goalies and have an opportunity to just get into a locker room and, and get to know um, another group of really just incredible student athletes who were, were changing the culture there. And it was still, it's, I still, I feel like it's still so early in the Hannah Nielsen era at, at, at Michigan. And I just, I was just so grateful for, for that experience because, um, honestly, you know, Hannah personally, and she's just an incredible human and the, the opportunity to kind of see lacrosse through her lens and the opportunity that she awarded me to, awarded me to just talk about lacrosse with her. And again, having an opportunity to work with, with Adam, who's a great lacrosse mind and an unbelievable motivator and Anna Henneberry, who in my mind is one of the elite defensive coordinators in our game right now. Like they, it was just such a great, great experience that I'm, I'm will forever be grateful for. It was 100% the right decision for me. Um, unfortunately then COVID hit and the world kind of got, got upside down and Somewhere, somewhere within quarantine, I got a phone call from Britteration, who is now out at Stanford, um, who is the uh, associate head coach at Jacksonville, and they they did an offensive coordinator, and they're like, "Do you, can you do that?" And I was like, "Yeah, I think so," because <laughs> um, I I did have some I did have opportunities to work, and I was running both sides of the ball when I was working with the running the Philly Force for the UWLX, and. Um, I mean, it had an opportunity. I pretty much was spending most of my quarantine down in a, on Hilton Head Island with my brother. So I just rented a car and drove down to Florida once things started to, to free up, checked out the area, met with, met with Coach McCord, and the rest is history. And I've been here ever since. So yeah. it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely a mouthful. Um, but honestly, it's one of those, it's one of those things where College athletics is, it's a little bit crazy in terms of the, the opportunities that you have. And if you're, if you're willing to take some chances and you're willing to, to, to just search out really great experiences and really great people, everything kind of ends up, ends up exactly the way it should. Totally. I mean, yeah, I was looking at your bio and more just looking at it as such a positive lens that you got to live and work with so many great mentors and then like now just putting it into like your work where you get to, you know, see what you liked, what you didn't like, what worked, what didn't work from so many different programs and people. And, you know, a lot of people have to read about that and you got to actually live it at so many different programs. It's like, you know, some people only need to work at one or two programs. So yeah, I think it's really, I'm, I'm very experience. I'm super fortunate. I really am. I, I, I always, uh, I always try to reflect and, reached out to these same people all the time um just checking in seeing how they're doing bouncing ideas off them i probably call poor poor elizabeth robbershaw way too much (laughs) way too many times that i should for much well that Um, alone yeah you have like 
so many coaches that are sounding board. Yeah. So many coaches that you can just bounce ideas off of, or, you know, just go to, if you know, they've dealt with the same situation, good or bad. Um, it's just a really cool background. And I think a lot of people look at it like, Oh my gosh, how'd you do all of that? But I looked at it right away. I was like, wow, this is really cool. You got to learn from so many people. Um, whether it be starting a culture, beginning of their coaching career, end of their coaching career, so many different, you know, teams and buildups. It's, it's cool to see. Yeah. Um, so now here you are at Jacksonville. Um, you guys are off to a great start. You're 10 and three, right? Yes, ma'am. We had a, got another, our last home game of the regular season um, was yesterday. So our last two were on the road against Liberty, um, who is a, a really great in-conference opponent for us. And then we finished the year off with the Gators oh, yeah. down in Gainesville, <laughs> which we're, we're always excited to play. Totally. It's always an exciting game. I mean, they're just such an incredible program. Like it's, it's an opportunity for us. And we, we talk about it every single day, just utilizing every day as an opportunity and making the most out of it. So for, for us in terms of scheduling it, dropping it right at the end of our season, right before our conference was, was something we, we were playing with that idea. And we were like, you know what, let's, let's pull the trigger and see how this goes. Because yeah, did you start with them last year? We didn't start with them. I think they were they were a few games in. Okay. Um, last year we did have we did have the abbreviated schedule, so we ended up, oh, only right, ended up right. playing twelve games in during the regular season. And generally, we will play Florida somewhere around mid year. Um, but we were able we we really t- looked critically at the the athletes that we had returning this year, and we looked critically at our schedule and. We really tried to soup it up, and we had an opportunity to play USC early in the season, and then um, Carolina and Notre Dame and Coastal and Cornell, and we were we've been really fortunate um, in just the the experiences that we've been able to provide for our student athletes this year. Like the we brought back a significant fifth year um, graduate student class because of these COVID rules and um, we really wanted to push these guys and they they talked about how they since they got here they wanted to change the culture and the the positioning of Jacksonville women's lacrosse and this was their their final year and their final go around and we we were giving them the opportunity and so far they are they are rising to it in my opinion yeah, they're so doing that I'm, I'm excited <laughs> I'm excited for you guys. You guys are a great program. And that's kind of one thing I wanted to start with is like when, what is Jacksonville lacrosse like known for? What is your guys' MO? What is your non-negotiable? So you people think about Jacksonville lacrosse, what would you say like defines you guys? I know it's a broad question, but. Yeah. I mean, from a, from a cultural, a cultural perspective, like it's a, it's a family environment. We, we support each other. Um, we try to provide the the student athletes with with a with a safe space where they can ask questions and give feedback, and we're always asking what we can be doing to support them better. Um, and in turn, they it's so funny how they they respond to that type of leadership model because when as as a leader, if you're ex- extremely accountable and you're always asking for their perspective and their opinion. Like there's sometimes where they give it and where we might have to shift their perspective a little bit because they, they might be a little bit off, but like, we're, we're really fortunate. We have an incredible group of young women who are extremely driven. Um, they're, they're absolute academic weapons to be perfectly honest. We have multiple nurses, um, we have multiple kids that are in the top 25 in our business school. Um, incredible internship opportunities. They're they're all lining up jobs for when they get out of get out of college. And it's the, our ability from from a cultural perspective to just create this this really safe family environment that also allows them to be to be competitive um, and and let them understand that like listen being being a competitor being being the best is is a good thing. You should want to do that and like never be never never shy away from from your from that aspect of of your personality but 
from, from a lacrosse perspective, I mean, we're aggressive. We like to play really fast. Um, if you ask anybody, I'd say that probably one of the, one of the things that they'll talk about is our ride. We pretty much 12 man ride every single time. And it's a love, I think our kids have a love hate relationship with it because <laughs> they love the, they love the extra possessions and they love the opportunities to create turnovers, but man, we, we work them hard throughout the week in order to, to make sure that we're able to do this at a high level. Um, and then just on each side of the ball, we have a new defensive coordinator this year, Carly O'Connell, who I'm just so ecstatic that she's down here. She, um, she came in after Britt took the position down at Stanford and I was, it hurt seeing Britt go because her and I was just such a great organic relationship when we got to work with one another. And, um, but I've had a great relationship with Carly for a while. She, she played for me on the Philadelphia force and I just kind of knew exactly what she was about. She's, she's a great lacrosse mind and a, and a fantastic motivator. And she's, she's extremely knowledgeable and so eager to, to learn, but wants to compete at the same time. And she's been doing an absolutely fantastic job and she's really helped to kind of move the needle in some areas for us in terms of what we're able to do defensively. I think we, in years past, we really relied on a zone and like, she's got these kids, she's got our guys in a man to man and it's, it's high pressure that we have different slide packages. There's different looks. They have a zone in their back pocket. Like, and she's been able to do a really great job with, with our goalies as well. And also our draw unit. Um, she, she's got her hands in so many different things and I, I'm impressed with her on a daily basis on how she's able to um, kind of balance that and establish those relationships. And um, from an offensive perspective, like I'm in year two and we have a lot of the pieces coming back. So for me, it was, continue to figure out ways in which we could grow what we're doing. I think last year we were a little bit more structured um, and it was great because I had a lot of control, but at the end of the day, like, I don't really want that much control. I want to be able to put the, prepare the, prepare guys to put them in situations and, and let the athletes athlete. And um, I think it, it took about a year for not necessarily to teach systems, but to teach decision-making Um and once you get a group of people on the same page with decision-making, it's easier to predict what people are going to do, where people should be, how people should be moving. Um, so we've been able to kind of move into more of a freelance structure this year, which I know our athletes love. We're challenging a lot of our, a lot of our athletes to diversify their games a little bit. If they were primarily dodging threats, we want to really increase the impact that they have off ball. If they're primarily um, a feeding threat, we want to teach them how to be a little bit more dangerous when the ball is in their stick and, and, and create some contact and, and dodge aggressively to locations to, to force teams to slide to us because it, it's when, when teams have to, when teams have to honor you from every different spot as a dodger and a feeder, it, it, it really creates some significant wrinkles that are that opposing teams, coaching staffs have to deal with. And I think for us, it's been, it's been fun to watch that progression. It's been fun to see the, the players and the athletes take, take ownership of it as we've kind of gone through this, this build of where we're at. And, and I'm just super excited because I feel like we're really starting to starting to take hit stride. I mean, we take a ton of shots. Um, it's, it's, it's like a, it's like a, a math game for me. It's like volume is good. So uh, other teams, other teams are going to make plays and other teams are going to make stops and goalies. There's so many tremendous goalies out there. Like um, they're, they're going to make saves and trying to keep our athletes in the headspace of, all right, well, we're athletes and we're going to make plays. They're athletes. They're going to make plays. So don't look at it as failure. Just look at it as an opportunity to do the next thing. And um, I know a lot of people, a lot of people take the perspective of shooting. They talk about like good shots and bad shots. And in my, in, in our position, like bad shots hit the goalie and a good shot is anything else. I tell the kids all the time, like if you got a lane from the parking lot, let that thing rip. Um, and I, 
there are some times where I, I cringe a little bit because <laughs> we're, we're, we're letting them go from, from a range that I don't necessarily know if we're that comfortable with, but the, uh, the volume that we're able to generate. I think yesterday we ended up generating like 57 shots. Wow. Um, yeah. And I mean, once again, the, the goalie made some saves, but at, also at the same time, I think we hit like nine or between nine and 11 pipes, which is just something that I feel like we do all the time. <laughs> yeah. Creates a rebound though. You know, it gets a second I mean, here and there. At least they're aiming. At least I know their <laughs> eyes are open. So that's, that's half the battle. Uh, you said a lot of buzzwords that Jamie will go crazy about if you were here right now, but like the freelance decision-making, all that stuff, you know, allowing athletes to read the play rather than, you know, being micromanaged or structured. What are some ways that I guess you guys at practice help facilitate that and help them? Are there some go-to drills that you love just to get them playing and working off each other? Yeah, I think, um, I'd say that there was probably a progression. Um, the first thing that in my mind that we needed to be able to do in order to be a successful offense was we needed to be able to, to identify who our primary and secondary initiators were. Um, so and when we talk about that, we we're literally just talking about the, the athletes on the offensive side of the ball that we have that are able to break you down one V one most consistently. And I would say we, we were, we identified five to seven of those guys early in the year. And, um, they have shown very, shown to be very consistent and they, they have the ability wherever they are, um, to, to win their one V one matchup. And, and for me, that just tells me that they're going to be a matchup issue and other teams are going to have to slide to them. So, I think the, the, the toughest part was kind of working on that, those secondary group of initiators, right? Cause it'd be great if you have 11 players deep of all that can just break you down. One be one, break you down. One be one, break you down. One be one. Um, but when we, when we play as fast as we do, we run as many guys as we do. I mean, we run on average 22 to 23 players a game. Wow. Um, we have, two, three, sometimes four midfield lines. We're running two or three different A middies. Um, we have a, a steady rotation of attackers that are on and off the field for us that provide different looks, different hands, different strengths, different locations. Um, and we try to do the same thing defensively because we, we are looking to, to push the tempo all the time and play really fast. And I think the, so we know that those secondary initiators are going to have to get involved. So what we try and do is allow them to understand what their skill set is. And we're, we're going to try and move the needle on those guys and, and put them in positions where they can get better and, and work on their spacing and understanding their spacing and what, um, what types of dodges they need to use where and how they can protect their stick a little bit better and what the acceleration and the angles look like that they, that should, that are more advantageous for them. Um, but also letting them understand the way that our offense works and knowing that if our primary initiators are setting up opportunities on one side of the field, and people are sliding at some point in time, if the ball moves fast enough, you are going to be dodging a recovery. And that is where a secondary initiator can absolutely thrive because as they're receiving that pressure, they have the ability to attack pressure with pressure. And if they're, in the, if they can put themselves in the right spot when they receive that ball and quickly just get aggressive on a recovering or sliding defender, they have the advantage. And it's going to put them in a position where they can make their one good move to a quality, a quality angle that they feel confident to, to let something go. And that's where we generate a lot of our shots. So um, I think the, the first part was really identifying the, the primary and the secondary initiators and, and letting them understand what their role was going to be and how they were still going to be able to be effective in those, in those positions. Um, and then the, the next part was really talking about just the structure of the offense. And we do a lot of stuff with the two man game um, because I, I do feel like we have a, a really good group of, of Dodgers and we have, we can dodge with long approach dodges, which is just getting a lot of separation and getting some speed and coming down on them. And then we also, uh, I stole a term from my buddy, Tom up at, um, 
up at Yale, we we utilize the the term Cholula one v ones, which is just getting spicy in small areas. Um, so we then those are more short approach one v ones. So we work on both of those, both of those things, and because of our ability to dodge a lot of the two man game that we're doing is off ball. And a lot of the on ball two man game doesn't necessarily, not doesn't necessarily result in a slip. Most of the time it's going to result in a pop or a fade, depending on who we're looking to play, because if we can get two to commit to the ball, it gives us another opportunity to potentially hit that throwback pass or have an exchange somewhere else. And, we're attacking a 2v1 2B, or a 1v1, which I kind of see just as good as a 2v1 because we we trust that our athletes have been prepared well enough to, to win their 1v1 matchups, especially when they are essentially recovering to them. So we'll do a lot of 2v2 stuff, um, working off the elbows. Um, we do a lot of high tempo drills. Um, We'll do one called bombardment, which is essentially it's, it's one of the fan favorites. It's essentially a five v five on each side. We move the nets just outside of the center circle, and it's make it take it. So if you score, you get a ball back. If you don't, the ball immediately goes to the five v five on the left, and they're just kind of managing their space. It it gives them an opportunity to move the ball quick, and identify and understand skip lanes, which is something that we've put a lot of time and effort into learning about this year because we we do see a lot of zone. Just but that. Our, playing against a lot of zones where you're going to Yeah, yeah we, we do end up seeing a lot of zone. Um, but one of the things that we've always tried, like since the, we want the ball to do the work, and if we have the ability to change the field and, and our athletes are, are confident in their ability to throw a skip pass on a rope from the backside or from the play side pipe to the backside elbow on the move, moving the opposite direction, it's going to create some, some pretty significant spaces for us. So we we've been working on that a lot. Um, and I think a lot of our, a lot of our drills put them in positions to, to see those aggressive passes and, and understand what they look like and, and understand what their range is as passers in order to, to actually take some of those risks, which we, which we encourage all the time. Um, we, I ended up seeing, we saw a drill um, when we went and played Carolina. Um, it's essentially like a four V three that turns into a five V four. It's a half field transition drill. And like, I was watching it in their warmups and I was like, how do I not, how did I not think of this? Like it was. <laughs> and so I, I called, I called and Millie Paros up and I was like, would you mind talking me through that drill that you guys did in pregame? And she's just like, absolutely. Like this is what we do. So we put a little bit of a tweak and a spin on it and it's become one of our fan favorites. I mean, it's great for the offense because you're man up. Um, but it's also great for the defense because it forces them to slide and recover and their ability to slide and recover and manage that space and, and, and work on their angles of pursuit with sticks in the lanes is it's been pretty great watching them kind of develop. And I think it's been really fantastic for, for that side of the ball in terms of their ability to play fast. Whereas our guys are just slinging that thing around and they now understand like getting them over the hump of, all right, you drew the slide. She committed to you. She took two steps. Like now move the ball as opposed to allowing the defender to take all 15 steps and contact you. And now your angle for, for moving that ball is significantly limited. So um, it surprisingly enough, I, I, I want to say that it's super complex, but it's not, it's just keeping everybody on the same page and giving them like one or two decisions to make every single time, mm -hmm. regardless of where they are. And um, the non-negotiables, your feet should be moving. So um, we've been, we've been able to create a lot of success on that. And I, I think honestly, the fact that our, our defensive guys have to play against it every single day, it, it's benefited us on both sides of the ball with the speed at which we're playing. Totally. I mean, I, I that's kind of where I was going to jump to next is defense a little bit. I know you're on the attacking side of Jacksonville, but the man down defensive drills help defense so, so much. I almost sometimes prefer to play man down. I think we're better. And I was like, we move yep. more and they talk more. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah. It, go ahead. No, I, I think you're, you're right on with that. And I think it's probably the thing that most, um, most coaches just sit there and scratch their head about. It's like, why are we better with less <laughs> players on the field? Right. It's wild. I've played a couple of games because I had four yellow cards, like literally man down and we won. I'm like, yeah, good thing we do man down drills all the time. So <laughs> works out. Yeah. Um, but you were saying that um, you guys used to play a lot of zone and now you guys are kind of moving to man or just a little bit of both. Um, in both your man and zone, it's a typically high pressure, pressure behind. Is that kind of your thing as an aggressive scrappy team or are you more low pressure? No, we, we like to be disruptive. Um, so we don't want to create situations where teams have the ability to like assess situations. So from a defensive perspective, when we're, when we're playing, man, we're depending on who our matchups are. And I think our, our personnel has a really good understanding of their range and it's something that they talk about, right? Like they know what their strengths are and they know where their weaknesses are. And we know who is, who has the ability to go out to 15, 16 yards and, and cover some space and recover if they, if their offensive player gets a step on. And then we also know who doesn't. So, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's one of the progressions as the year goes on, knowing where you have to show and where you don't have to show and what certain, <clears throat> what's cer- who's, what certain personnel looks like when, if they're actually being beat or if they're, just half a step behind and they have the ability to um to make to cover up some ground um but from from an offensive perspective or excuse me from a defensive perspective in our man-to-man where carly's got them playing extremely aggressive um even in our zone the there's pressure um we're we're forcing them to to try and attack us in different ways we're we're forcing them to play fast and that's where we're comfortable. And I, I think the, that's one of the parts that it's one of the things that we had to essentially be prepared for as the year goes on. Like there are certain teams that are going to go out there and they're going to want to try and speed your tempo up on both sides of the ball to make you uncomfortable. Like our, our like max speed is where we are at our best. Like that's where our, that's where our players want to be. So for us, it's the opposite direction. It's like, okay, teams are going to try and slow us down because like, you know, the old adage, like you can't run with a runner. And like, if you try and run with us and that's not a tempo that you're used to, like good luck. Right. So, so teams are going to have to try and hold that ball for a little bit long and hold that ball for a little bit longer and really utilize those shot clocks and try and slow us down and lull us to sleep. And um, I can tell you our, our offensive guys hate watching like they want to be involved in everything. So like if, they're, if they can ride, they want to be, they want to be in the ride. If they can clear. They want to be involved in the clear. And if they, if we have the ball on offense, they just want that thing moving. But from a defensive perspective, like those, our guys are doing a great job at, at just turning tempo up on turning tempo up on, on different teams and, and being disruptive. And honestly, our, our goalies have just been, have made so much progress this year. Um, I would say we're, all last year we split time between um, two keepers and we've done that for most of this season as well. Um, It's been, it's been really cool to watch our, the separation start to kind of take place in, in that position for us. But like, and goalies are tough. They're, they're a tough breed. Like they're, Uh they're all a little, they're, they're all a little bit off and you generally (laughs) only play, you only play one at a time, but they have, we have such a great, healthy culture and like those guys support each other so well. Um, it's, it's really cool to see because I don't necessarily think that they would, they would all be playing at the level that they are without one another constantly pushing and, and making saves and making stops. That's huge. That's awesome. And yeah, I mean, the goalies that support each other and push each other is only going to make the program that much better. So yeah, it's really cool to see. And you're just seeing a lot of programs split or, you know, you don't know who's going to start or what's going to happen and they got to be ready. Um, cool. Well, moving on, it sounds like you can play this, this level pressure and your style because of your depth. And you mentioned that earlier in the podcast that you play about 22 people um, and going to your midfield lines, sometimes even four lines. Can you kind of elaborate more on that? Do you guys run 
like, is it like two straight on each line or it kind of varies or one straight and an A mid D mid or kind of just changes game by game? Um, no, we're pretty, we're fairly consistent. Um, we will run midfield lines with two, two a midfielders. And then we have an A midi and a D midi um, that operate through now. Um, I'd say we we're probably a little bit deeper on the offensive side and I'm extremely fortunate, like trying to figure out ways to get some of these guys on, on the field, just because I know that they're, they're capable athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've had to get a little bit creative. So um, we have two of our, two of our offensive personnels, um, Mac Boyle and Maya Scanlon, um, are going essentially one for one. So every other, and it's nice because they're a righty lefty combo. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go in and they play the same position. And then we have, um, we have three attackers that primarily play early in the season. They played primarily through, um, through X and below goal line extended. So we had Grace Hobson and Alyssa Arnold and our Penn state transfer, Lauren Kraft. And they've been, honestly, we're at the point now where we can kind of just continue to roll those guys through. So we'll start with like Grace and Alyssa and then Grace will pop off and then it'll be Alyssa and Lauren and then Alyssa will pop off. It'll be Grace and Crafty. And then we just kind of keep those guys rolling through. And the nice part is, um, we we're even getting another sophomore, um, Bree Samuels involved now because like she actually was one that started last year in her, our first game against high point, um, as we were bringing a couple guys back from injury and she's just done an unbelievable job. Absolutely fantastic attitude. The kid has worked on her game so, so much. And you can just see in the pace of play that she's out there and she, she just fits. So, I'm extremely comfortable getting her involved too earlier. Yeah. Um, and it allows us to, to play faster and it gives us different looks as we were able to put some lefties and righties in different spots. And I think one of the, one of the other nice things that we've been able to do is over the past year is really start to move around like Jenny Kinsey and Sarah Elms. Like they, they primarily played up top for the duration of their college career. And now we're able to, we're able to invert those guys and we're able to put them below goal line extend and we can move crafty high and Bree can play high and Bree can play low. And we have some of our inside kids that can flex the different parts of, of our offense. And then you, you, you just add the fact that you have just super athletic midfielders that are dropped anywhere in that offense that if they have some space, they're going to be able to get some power going downhill, get their hands free and get quality scoring opportunities off. So it's, it's definitely a juggling act. I have a a pretty significant spreadsheet that I have to have (laughs) on the sideline with me at all times to know what we can run with who in there. And, but it's, it's, it's been, it's been fantastic to see some of, some of these athletes earn time because of how hard they're working and how, um, and just how much progress a lot of them are making and their, their attitudes are, are just so great. And they love seeing each other succeed. It's, it's, it's a really, so honestly, it's a really healthy environment considering we're playing that many, that many players down there. So it's, it's pretty awesome. It's great. I mean, it seems like you have, you know, a culture that no one's complacent and everyone's working and everyone's gonna get what they deserve if they put in the time and allows you guys to play at a pace that, you know, your legs are fresh and going back to your 12 man ride. If you have that type of rotation in the midfield and attack, they're fresh every time to ride hard, which is awesome. Yeah. And I think that's some of the, that's one of the bigger things that a lot of people have to, to prep just because we're, we're able to put a significant amount of pressure on you and um, it doesn't always work. Mm-hmm. I, I'll say that like there, there are situations where, we might get fast broke and we're looking for a goalie to, to come up with a save or um, we're looking around going, well, no, that wasn't our best one. But uh, they, it also, even if the, if the other team is able to successfully clear the ball on us, it, it's forcing them to operate in a, in a shorter shot clock. So we might be able to burn 30, sometimes 40 seconds, depending on how many times they have to move backwards with the ball and change the field. And then it forces them to start to play faster. Yeah. Um, which is, is again, what we want. Um, so at the fact that we're able to, to get so, so many midfield lines in and the fact that we're able to rotate, um, 
our attackers and we have as much depth as we do, which is honestly the the main point of our focus and the, the conversations that we had at the end of last year in terms of some of our returning players, things that we needed from them. Um, it's been it's been pretty fantastic to to kind of see it all working itself out. Yeah, that's awesome. Great. Well, I'm excited for your next two games and, you know, what you guys are going to, you know, fingers crossed, hopefully doing the tournaments looking good for you guys right now. But um, you guys are an awesome, always, you know, a tough matchup, you know, going into May. So it's exciting. Yeah. I mean, we've been, it's so funny. Like we talk about May all year. <laughs> um, we, we want to be playing our best lacrosse in the month of May and we have a, a schedule that we build in order to, to prepare us for that. And we have to get through our conference schedule and we put a lot of really strong opponents on that schedule throughout the year. And we, once again, that, like, that in, in-state rivalry with Florida being the last yeah. game before our conference, before our conference tournament, which we're hosting this year is it's, there's just a lot of excitement. I know that um, as the years go, as the year goes on and, and you know, this all so well, it's, it takes its toll physically, mentally, yeah. emotionally on, on, on athletes and, and staff members too. But it, because they're just so excited, like Liberty is just, just such a critical game for us going into our conference. They're such a strong program. They're doing so well this year. And then to, to piggyback them with Florida, who like I have so much respect for, for those guys and what they do down there. And, but I, at the same day, like, there's no love lost between the two programs. Totally. Yeah. Um, they, it's, it's, it's the battle for Florida. And um, <laughs> I, I think last year after our, our, our girls were able to get over that hump, there's just a completely different feel about preparation um, for everything that we do. And it's, it's, it's really exciting that it's only April and, they started saying probably two weeks ago, like every game's a playoff game from now here on out. And I'm like, as a coach, like that gets me all fired up because I'm yeah. just like, yeah, every, every game is a playoff game. <laughs> um, but the fact that they're, the fact that they're changing their mindset and their mentality is, is pretty fantastic. So it's, it's been fun to, it's fun to be, it's fun to be around on a daily That's basis. Awesome. It makes my life. Uh, yeah, I miss it. I mean, yeah, it's an, it's a exhausting time, but also it could be like the best time. So it oh, sounds yeah. like you guys are heading in that direction on the up. Um, so as we kind of wrap up, as we do, you know, on all of our podcasts, just a little quick recruiting chat, just some advice for, you know, the parents and the younger players that are listening as we head into the summer, some recruiting advice of what you think is best for those 24s this summer or 23s that are uncommitted, um, your advice for them and kind of what you look for uh, at the Jacksonville program. Yeah. I mean, I was doing our, I've been trying to do our summer schedule, which has been daunting. Like there's so many events. There's <laughs> so many events, no. um, which it, I mean, it just shows what, what's going on in our sport and how, how rapidly it's growing. And I think they, the, the online platforms have been something that we've really used um, throughout the year, just kind of getting some traction on those 24s and, the 23s that are still looking for homes because we're not done yet. Um, and from, from just that online perspective, I think the, the IW sports recruits is just a tremendous resource for us. We, we pretty much use, I'm on that thing every single day. Um, anybody that sends us an email, I'm, I'm clicking their links and I'm watching, I'm watching some film and reading their bios and trying to, trying to see what, um, if their if their style of play and also um, if, if they if they fit to what we're trying to do here, um, so I think the having those those highlight videos is is critical going into this next segment. Um, the camps are always great. Like I love working with student athletes, and we always encourage if JU is a place that you want to that you think you want to play at, um, come to our camp, come to our summer camp. We are, we try to do a really good job of posting where all of our coaches are going to be as early as possible um, in the summer. So we can make sure that student athletes can get in front of us and we can um, have plenty of opportunities, to, opportunities to evaluate these guys successfully. Um, but just be selective. I, we understand that people like resources are, um, 
are sometimes tight. So identify the, the schools, the coaches, the, the programs that you want to get yourself in front of. And obviously everybody's got a great club schedule and we're all on the road all the time. But um, in terms of those extra events, just making sure that you guys are utilizing your resources in, in the best possible way. Um, because the, it, it starts to add up. It starts yeah. to add up. It starts to add up real fast. I always tell um, them all, you know, the girls, I'm like, you can't physically play for seven weeks straight. So you have to yeah. find some downtime. And just yeah. And, <laughs> and, and figure out and, and honestly figuring out that what that balance looks like, because it's different for everybody. Because the last thing we want is for a student athlete to get to college and just be totally burnt. Mm-hmm. Um, like you can't burn yourself out on the recruiting process because there's that gap that one year where you've now committed potentially to an institute, like to a university and a program. And like, if you're like, well, I'm done. <laughs> I said, yes, I signed, like I'm, I'm coming now. Um, like once you say yes, I always tell our, our athletes, like the day they signed that NLI, I was like, now it gets hard. Oh yeah. Like, the, uh, the like that was the easy part. Yeah. That was the easy part. Like I'm going to now, now I get to push. Yeah. Um, so just making sure that they're, they're finding that balance and they're, they're keeping an understanding of why they're doing this. Like this game is fun. It's the greatest thing, it's the greatest game on the planet. And the, the fact that I get to wake up every single day and go to work and do this is just the greatest joy that I potentially have. And um, I just hope that we're creating an environment and atmosphere and we're surrounding ourselves with, with athletes that feel the same way because if you wake up every morning not feeling like you're going to work, like even on those days where you're tired, where you're banged up, where you're sore, maybe it'd be a little bit cold or maybe for us it's a little bit too hot because it doesn't get too cold down here. Like <laughs> it, it's that we get to mindset. Like we get to play lacrosse today. We get to prepare. So, I mean, I think trying to find that balance and then just identifying where, where your resources are going to be put to the best use and just continue to have fun and like show us that you're having fun. Like we're on the sideline. Like I love watching. um, I always put down notes like for, for athletes that steady really hard. Like that's great. so I think that's what, that's what we're looking for. Like energy, energy brings energy. And if you can bring like a positive energy bus into your, into your locker room every single year, it's like, that's going to benefit you guys long-term on those days where everybody's kind of struggling. I like so. that. Yeah. Talk about energy all the time. Totally. Even just like the celebrations, giving people high fives, like what yep. they're doing on the sideline. It matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Mike. Everyone that's listening, please uh, be on the lookout for Jacksonville. Two last games coming up for their regular season and always making a splash in May. So we'll be cheering for you, Mike. We're going to keep working. So thank you so much, Kyle. I really appreciate this. It's always great catching up. No problem. Have a great week.